Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. The falsely accused is our challenge this episode. Heavy. Thank. What's that, Taylor? I said heavy. Yes, very heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to uh, Douglas Brown, our previous guest for that challenge. Mm-hmm. Debbie Chatra is our guest this episode. Greetings, Debbie. Hello. My name is Ra Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun, and I'm a designer and run the exoskeleton art space here in Los Angeles. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist. Uh, oh, I totally drew a blank. <laughs> I'm a he, his kind of guy. <laughs> there we go. I'm going with it. I'm just going straight up today. Perfect. So I'm Deb Chatra, and I use uh, the she and her gender pronouns. Um, I'm a professor at Olin College of Engineering, which is a tiny undergraduate engineering college outside Boston, Massachusetts. I'm drinking a beer I made with our neighbors, and it came out pretty good. Oh. Any any particular kind of beer? I think it's a Saison. It's, um, my understanding is that once upon a time, beer was a real pain in the ass to make, but now you just get these little kits on Amazon, and it's really just like doing the dishes. I mean, 90% of it is just cleaning everything real good. <laughs> Um, so you just get some friends together and you just clean a bunch of dishes and then you have beer afterwards. Right. Yeah. I actually have memories of like big, yeah. like stock pots of sweet malt boiling over on the stovetop. So, oh, um, are these childhood memories or just memories of, of yesteryear? Memories of yesteryear before, before, mm-hmm. before beer making became a thing that you got in kits when it was like, mm-hmm. you actually have to buy kind of the raw ingredients, um, and turn it into beer in your stovetop. I've never made beer. I I I feel like I'd like to. <laughs> I have actually made ginger beer at home. Oh yeah. Um, which uh, basically it's like a ton of ginger, and you just you add to actually straight sugar that ferments mm-hmm. with. And I think I just I feel like I just I'm not even sure I use brewer's yeast. I think I might have actually just used like baker's yeast, and mm-hmm. uh, but it was actually super tasty. So that's still alcoholic. It's very it? slightly alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not terribly alcoholic. You put in enough sugar. That it's sweet and some of it gets converted to alcohol that gives you the carbonation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's only very lightly alcoholic. Wow! All right, Rob. So so your your challenge for this week is to figure out whatever Deb says. How can you turn it into beer brewing? Yes. I <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I could, I could use some some. <laughs> oh yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course I know what the challenge is. So. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, well, I don't know. Do you, uh, Deb, as a uh, first-time guest, but yes. uh, sometime listener, do do you think that we're cheating if we um, do something that we sort of we like bend the challenge to our will, or or do you think that's actually a, a good way to go about it? Uh, well, I certainly think? hope not, because I definitely bent this particular challenge to my oh, will. Oh yeah, good. Well, there so, you go. <laughs> um, I very carefully scheduled myself for two weeks and lots of time to work on this project, and then life intervene in a number of different mm-hmm. ways and um so the first piece of course is that whatever you do is definitely going to be shaped by the fabrication skills that you have or the ones mm-hmm. that you can actually get so that's a pretty serious shape but the other yeah. thing and i think the one that is really clear in what i did is not so much that i bent it to my will it's that there's particular things that i'm sort of interested in and care about and pay attention to that ended up getting reflected in what i did yeah so no matter how faithfully you try to follow it I mean, I feel like the whole point of this is that it's going to be reflective of who you are. Sure. Yep. But, you know, and you also brought something up. Um, I didn't realize until I was looking into some of your um, writing that I'd encountered uh, certainly your uh, piece in The Atlantic, uh, Why Am I Not a Maker? Right. 
Um, and that was a piece that I'd really wrestled with when I read it. And so I was, I was delighted to talk to somebody whose work I'd encountered and, you know, thought about and so forth. I think it's interesting that you refer to this challenge as being explicit to fabrication right. when one of the topics you wrestle with in that, um, in that article is, is the sort of primacy of fabrication and whether or not that's a good thing. Would you mind talking about that article a little bit? Oh, yeah, no, not at all. So I should point out that, as is common, the title and the article are not written by the same person. Um, oh, interesting. So I, and in fact, I I, know you know, I actually say pretty early on, and in fact, I might actually link you to this, that um, mm-hmm. uh, that I actually think that making is important. And in fact, mm-hmm. when I was sure asked do. to give advice to my 16-year-old self, the one of the main pieces of advice I gave was to go out there and like actually make things instead of just learning stuff. <laughs> so and that that piece is actually linked from that from that article. Um, right. The thing, the point of the article is that there's a lot of work that people do that is not making and doesn't have the same primacy of, of making. Um, and the main thing about mm-hmm. that is caregiving or anything that has to be done kind of over and over again or anything that is involves interactions with people. And mm-hmm. so the issue is not that I think that making is bad. The issue is that I think that caregiving gets short shrift, right? Because it's For not sure. a thing that can be put in a box and scaled and monetized, right? It's a thing that actually just has to be done over and over again in a sustained, continuous way. I've been a professor at Olin for 15 years. You know, there's a sort of sense of like, oh, you've been doing the same thing. I promise you, anyone who's ever taught knows that teaching, you do not do the same thing every day or every year. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. That it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, and it's not even just like, oh, well, I changed the course. It's that it's about teaching happens at the interaction of you and your students. And that is absolutely mm-hmm. different every year. And the same thing is true of parenting. And the same thing is true of all sorts of caregiving. And we, you know, we sort of just think about, it's like, oh, you know, the cost of education is going up or the cost of healthcare is going up. And a chunk of that is just because these are things that you can't scale them. And they're not things that become more efficient with time. <laughs> so the classic example of this is preparing for and performing a string quartet, right? Like in 1950, it took the same amount of time for musicians to practice and prepare and perform a string quartet as it does in 2018. So my point was that we... I think that we would do better as a society if we actually started appreciating that both making and caregiving um, are important in our society. Mm. So that's cool. Oh, I just, I just, uh, I weep for the titles that could have been. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Cause you could totally like, you know, caregiving is making would just cast a completely different shadow across that entire, I mean, that's, that sounds like a pejorative thing, but um, oh, that's fantastic. That's a trip we should dive into challenges yeah <laughs> well deb you, you've got a big you've got a big trip to go on right you're getting That's up right. real early yeah i'm um i'm giving a talk at a conference on friday in Reykjavik. i'll be mm-hmm. back after thanksgiving so oh that's awesome um, yeah no oh, it'll be good thanks, thanks for making the time yeah yeah of course and sorry thank you for for letting me cut for taking three days i guess off the usual two weeks yeah, so no that problem. we could wrap this early well do you guys say this to your students which is like at a certain point, if you give him more time, you're going to get the same work back. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> maybe Rob, Rob, is two weeks too much right, for these kind of things? No. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I teach design to engineering students. And a mm. chunk of what I have to do to first years is to actually deprogram them from the idea that they need to be super efficient. 
And yeah. instead, it's like, no, you have 12 hours a week for this course. That's what a full course is. And yeah. we're going to ask you to like slow down and explore concepts and do research and not right. immediately be like, oh, I have this idea and I need to fabricate it. Yeah, and that's a great there, point. You know, unlike everything else that they've ever done, there is no prizes for being done in less time. And in fact, right. as I said, often, you know, it's the other way around. It's like, no, I need you to work in this in a way that, that actually fills all the time you have assigned to work on it. That is an excellent sneaky way to let them know, like, you're really going to have to spend those hours. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, mostly it's to slow them down because they, right. they want to like, okay, I have an idea. I need to go make it now. And it's uh -huh. like, no, I need you to like spend a lot of time with uncertainty before right. you actually start to like decide what you're going to make and make that thing. Yeah. Uh -huh. And like research. Sure. And, yeah. All that. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. And like understand who you're making it for and explore a bunch of different concepts and, you know, make decisions about why you want some of those, what, you know, which one you're going to make and why not just like, Oh, I thought of this and it seems cool. Yeah. That's a great point. Well, well, Deb, as I'm sure, you know, from previous episodes, we give the guest the middle slot and okay. Rob, who's first this time. I can't recall. I think you're first. Oh, Canvas. I recognize this. <laughs> are, you, are you on Canvas? Yeah. At a, what's your institution again? It was uh, Olin? Olin College. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we're still kind of um, doing some exploration work, So, uh, but I'm using it for my course this semester. You mm -hmm. may find this useful then. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we have a video. It's <clears throat> 25 seconds long. Um, there's three files. Oh, our challenge, by the way, is the falsely accused, just to set the stage here. And um, Deb, you mentioned Canvas. Is that like a um, e-learning software kind of thing? Uh, yeah, like course management software. Okay, because so, the first frame here, yeah, looks like just says this student does not have a submission for this assignment. <laughs> yeah, so this is part of it called SpeedGrader. Okay, so it's the thing that allows you to go through every assignment, and um, uh, as you can see, that says it's submitted no submission. Also, I have a test student as well. Um, whose name is Deb Fake Student Chachara. I didn't know you could name him. Nice. And what's the test student account typically for, just so you can... I make sure I can like, see all the notices and... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. right, okay. To make sure, like, so... I sent out a message and I want to make sure everybody got... Uh, make sure... Exactly. I... Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. I get that. Cool. Yeah. Typically, how we've done this before, is um, Deb, you and I would click play at the same time so we okay. can sort of experience the video together and talk about what we see. And if you want, I'll let you just um, jump in with what you see, and then I'll I'll do the same. Okay. Do you want to give me a countdown to hit play? Or... Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, three, two, one, click. Go. <laughs> okay. We just. <laughs> Wait. Is this like a video game? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's let's maybe hit pause just for a second. Okay. <laughs> and I'm gonna need to scroll back just to see, make sure I I saw what I saw. <laughs> so there's there's a right hand column, and then there's assessment, and that says grade out of ten, and it looks like Taylor or someone typed in ten, so that's like an an A plus grade, and then there's a view rubric button that he clicked, and. We heard some weird sounds kick in. 
Yeah, some very dramatic sounds as yeah. everything gets typed in or clicked. Yeah, some martial arts kind of sounds or like something <laughs> from like the original Wolfenstein or something. Yeah. yeah. First yeah, person greater. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. First person. Okay, that's it, Reb. If we haven't coded that by the time this episode goes live, somebody else will do it. Yes, first person greater. Wow. <laughs> and so when when when... I assume Taylor clicked view rubric. We got like a table drop down. Yeah. So, I mean, you can either put in the grade out of 10 or you can actually look at the sub criteria, which make up the rubric. Uh-huh. And so okay. in this case, it's five marks for turning it in and it's five marks for effort. That makes sense. And all right. the while, um, when filling things in, I think, and maybe when clicking buttons, right. we heard some action packed sounds. Um, that maybe if you want, let's roll the video back and start from the beginning again. Okay. Three, two, one, click. Okay, we're all looking at it again. Okay. <laughs> 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 it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so anytime a, a form field is clicked or acted on, we're definitely getting some full contact that- form filling out. Okay, so that was the first video. Okay. Wow, this is a good one. Okay, so but the other thing I would like to point out is that the student uh-huh. did not turn in this assignment, but they did in fact get full <laughs> grades for it. So it's, it's just the test student. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm the test it's, student. I'm definitely failing my course. I haven't turned anything in. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. All the test accounts are going to get like scooped up and factored into someone's like data visualization, and right. everyone's results are going to look really bad. Yeah, like, it's going to be like um, like Nowhere <laughs> Island, right? Like or like um, yeah. like the the geometric center of the U.S. That gets yes. used for geolocation when people don't have a location. And so, yeah, like, yeah. somewhere in Kansas, right, there's, like, all this stuff happens yes. because it's the geometric center of the country. Can we look at the next thing? Yes, do it. Yeah. And so I the next thing is... Goodnotes.js. They're randomized comments. Yeah. Uh, randomized between one and three. So... Yeah. Uh, a 33% chance. Um, and there's three comments, which is excellent notes... Is result one. Result two is these look great, and then the third one is great notes. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah, and then what do you see? So the thing I see after that is that speed grammar comment text area. Yes. So I suspect that um, the thing this will auto generate one of those three comments and drop yes. it into mm-hmm. that um, as a comment. Ding ding ding! It sounds like so far I'm getting a sense that Taylor is coming up with ways to both. Amuse himself and be efficient in the grading in the grading process, <laughs> as opposed to wanting to kill myself, which is the normal grading. Uh, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Formative assessment, man. Formative assessment. Uh, I mean, formative assessment is fun, and summative assessment is deadly. <laughs> oh no! Now, no, what are the two terms here? So, formative assessment is when you give uh-huh. people the assessment that they need to um, change what they're doing and get better. Um, mm-hmm. And summative assessment is the thing that is summative. So it's like the grade at the end of the course that they may or may not be able to act on. I mean, some of it is like looking back at everything that they've done and assessing that. But um, so I think a formative assessment is everything I tell my students during the course that helps them get better at what they're doing. And then the summative assessment is that the grade that they get at the end and formative assessment is fun and feels really worthwhile and valuable. And summative assessment is a thing that I have to do. Yes. Rob. Have you been having this thing lately where you want to take everything in your life and get our guests just to frame yes. it in their own language? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, let's hear a poet tell us about, you know, 
uh-huh. things that we do that don't don't think about critically in this way. Let's let's say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Deb, Deb, I don't want to pigeonhole you as an engineer right. nor a professor, but you certainly um, represent those fields at least. <laughs> um, but I'm really I'm really enjoying your your perspective on describing um, these difficulties. Yeah, yeah, that one really delivered the goods. <laughs> that was awesome. Okay, uh, cool. And, and then I'll just throw in there that this is, so the website linked is mrcoles.com backslash bookmarklet. So you can take this JavaScript and plug it into his tool, and then it delivers a link that you can just drag into your bookmarks bar. Okay. Um, and assuming you're on a web page that has the correct um, uh, DOM tree, so for example, speed grader comment text area. Right. If there's not an element with that ID on a website, this wouldn't work, but it will work uh, on Canvas because it, okay. because it contains those definitions. So. Got it. Okay. I'm looking forward to like the, the day, Taylor, you go to uh, like the DMV website or something and somehow those fields were named the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I put yeah. work, keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. This, yeah, such nice feedback from this DMV mm-hmm. customer. <laughs> Okay, so we ha- we also have a final video called, and the file is called two underscore GUI underscore low friction. Ready when you are. Three, two, one, go. Oh, oh ho! So we just opened up a browser automation service. It looks like. So we clicked on good yeah, notes. Right up- it says Cantu Fresh Web Browser Automation 3.3.3, which looks like maybe either like a browser plugin or something. We'll have to. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I, I was trying to figure out whether it was, did we just grade one student or did we actually grade all the students? And the answer, and the answer seems to be just test student, fortunately. Yeah. Now, if I was just randomizing their grades, you totally could just grade them all with right. one click. <laughs> as opposed to just randomizing the comments yeah right i i should also note that um so if i can just give you guys a little context which yes. can't it's not really readable so um i tried to do this a couple of different ways and quasi failed in a couple of ways so one of the weird things about canvas is that when you enter the numerical grade there's not a submit button okay um so javascript will actually break numerical grade entry so the bookmarklet that I did that you saw in the second example, mm-hmm. um, it works for comments because for whatever reason you can type them in and hit submit and it understands it. But then I couldn't get, so I was trying Python, that didn't work. I tried JavaScript and that only worked for comments. So okay. the only way I could do both numerical grades and comments was to use a, a browser oh. automation plugin okay. called nice. uh, Contu. Okay. So the challenge is the, the, <laughs> the falsely accused, you could... Definitely falsely accuse a professor of just giving everybody the same grade. Same grade. Yeah. Or you could <laughs> falsely accuse a student. Deb, to your, your earlier point about, and can, can you say it again? It's formative versus what? Formative versus summative feedback? Yeah, formative and summative. I mean, so, so this is something I, I was unaware of and need to look into, but just the idea that grades have come to be seen as something you sort of like everyone at least in in my experience comes in with the expectation that they'll get an a and then the removal of points from that a are are punishments (laughs) that are either 
not deserved uh-huh. or really not deserved. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so I'm trying to, you know, sort of get my students into a mindset that no, you know, I I mean, particularly on the first day of art classes, I, I have it in all my syllabi where I say, listen, everybody, like I have a lot of experience as an artist. I don't necessarily have industry experience like I haven't been a graphic designer for 20 years or whatever. Right. But I've done all this weird shit. Like I did this one thing and I did this other thing. And at the end of the day, I'm going to look at your shit and say, uh, <laughs> You know, right. so like, so it just all comes down to just my personal experience and how I think your work would, would, you know, sell in the abstract sense in the greater world. Right. Um, so with that in mind, you know, the grading is kind of preposterous because the functional stuff all happens in class through discussion. And I'm trying to find ways through Canvas, which definitely lends itself, as do all learning management systems, to that very numerical and explicit grading you know, how can I let them give them some actionable intelligence, but also just get it done in a way that doesn't make me want to mm-hmm. you know, pull my hair out? I'm going to um, uh, link to an article by Juliet Cesar that has the title, Why is so much of design school a waste of time? And it starts with the question, <laughs> my teacher hates everything I make, even though I spend all this time working on it and gets mad even when I follow his advice. And yeah. um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a useful read to answer that question of, like I do this stuff and I show it to my um my teacher my my art design teacher in this case or my art teacher, and um, and I don't understand why like when they tell me things are bad what that means so right um, exactly so I will That's... I will I will I will <laughs> add that to the pile of stuff so I actually sent this yeah. I just my students had their first design review and so as when they were preparing for the design review I sent them a link to this. Uh, because I get it, the yeah, impression cool. I'm gonna love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it is. I mean, it is a real, particularly for engineering experience, students. It's a really unfamiliar experience to go through, like a sort of design crit. I mean, I, I don't know where your students come from, but my students come from a world where you like you get the right answer and you get a grade, oh, and yeah. you know, and um, and then we then they start at Olin, and instead it's like you have an open ended project or you're doing design, and so it's a real cultural shift. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just I was. Uh, discussing this with my uh, student Mary. Hey Mary, if you're listening to this, but she was telling me about coming out of high school and having a teacher teaching InDesign, the uh, page layout software, and that there was a right way and a wrong way to do it. And that was just the end of the story. And so the project that we're working on right now is they all have to make these booklets of instructional drawings, like Mm -hmm. Yoko Ono style, you know, um, be pregnant, stare at the sun, and okay. then consider your mortality for 70 years and then make a drawing or whatever. Okay. <laughs> so so they all had to come up with instructions. And some of them were really great. Like one was um, uh, let yourself get really hungry, think about your favorite food, and then draw it. Okay. <laughs> and then another one was um, instructions on how to cry, sit in a room, Think about something really sad, play sad music, then cry. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. You know, is, well, and so and so that those are in, that that was a drawing instruction, right? So you you definitely separate the different types of brains in the classroom because some people say, well, that that's not how you make a drawing, and then other people just totally intuit, oh, well, I need to find a way to express these instructions in a way that's consistent at least halfway with drawing, and mm-hmm. then that you know raises a conversation. Right. Um, but Mary and I, and as as you know, in addition to many of my students, have this discussion about this is this is where the rubber hits the road, and we're going to mint four billion graphic design, you know, bachelor's degrees this year, 
and you need to be one of the ones that can tell an interesting story about why you are interesting. Like, if you can reproduce digital products forever and copy things without end, then in the end, the only product is you, you know, and your particular brain. And you can't express that if you just show a portfolio that does the same old shit. So um, I'm really, really looking forward to reading this article, Dip. So yeah, thanks for posting it. And so just the only other thing in summation is that I can post these um, Cantu scripts online, but if particularly if you're grading projects where, like me, all my students in my flipped classrooms, they just have to take notes every week in advance of the class. Okay. And then sometimes they'll turn in notes, quote notes, that are like two sentences long. Uh-huh. Right. And so I really just needed an option to say 10, 5, and 0. Right. Um, and then in other cases, I give very similar feedback constantly because, you know, you know, the lighting and color correction on these photos is not up uh-huh. to par or okay. whatever. And just to, I mean, I could have a Word document sitting there and copy and paste it. Right. I, I don't think it makes it less of an honest right. educational experience, but just realistically, I'm saying the same shit over and over right. again. So potentially these are some tools that actually make the um, the process a little less soul-crushing. But, you know, some students may hear that and, and find it less uh-huh. magical. For sure. Right. I have, um, when I, you know, when I edit essays, I find that I write, um, rewrite for clarity and say it simply. Often enough oh, yeah. that like one is R4C and one is SIS. And I just put it at the top of the page, right? Yep. Like I'll underline things and I'll just say R4C or I'll just say like SIS um, because, mm-hmm. because yeah, they're common things. So yeah, certainly, like certainly in writing, right? There's um, that's a pretty you know it's sort of understood that there's like a set of um, comments that will get used relatively like pretty frequently. So it shouldn't be less surprising that the same thing is also true for the art practice yep. that you teach. Oh, for sure, yeah. All right, so that's me. But you you all uh, cut right <laughs> to the quick on that. I was I was wondering uh-huh. if that would be just completely opaque or not. Right. Well, I had I had a bit of inside knowledge. So. <laughs> yeah. We we depend heavily on the we knowledge do. of our guests for sure. All right, Debbie, did you post? You posted something that I also have not yet downloaded. I think. Let me see. There it is. Oh, here we are. Yep, forty-five zip. All right, Rob, I got one queued up. Right. You start. Why We've don't got you? Got seventeen photos. Aha! So the. F- she, she's right. speaking yeah. your language. So the <laughs> so the first so the first image is looks like a page from Debbie's notebook would be my guess and our sketchbook it's mm-hmm. uh, not not lined and it says the falsely accused at the top and we see some kind of iteration on the concept written down one is African Americans lynchings Salem witch trials and then we see. These are different lines on the page. David Milgard, uh, Guy Palmerin, our Guy Palmerin, etc. I don't either. I don't yeah. know the reference. Yep. But I'm looking it up. Yep. Here, cool. No fly list. That's a, wow, a great one. Uh, machine learning, spurious correlations. Yes, that's a spurious correlations is a sub bullet under machine learning. Medical test and then false positives is a really interesting one. And then false positives. Yeah. has a purple box around it, which makes me think that we could be headed in that direction, but not we're, sure yet. We're digging it. Yes. I, Deb, the only way you could strike more closely to Rob's heart is to make a mind map and spill yes. coffee all over <laughs> it. Uh, 
And Rob David Milgard looks like uh, famously uh, jailed for um, rape and then uh, uh, revealed oh, to be innocent. That, that's my one second read on Wikipedia. So uh, murder, I believe, probably... actually. Or possibly or, rape and or, murder, but I think he was perhaps jailed the for, two, yeah. for murder. And um, actually, it's so on my Canadian is showing, um, because both David Milgard and Guy Palmerat were famously accused and exonerated. Um, and there's a tragically hip song called Wheat Kings. Oh about david milgard hmm. taylor you can take the second one okay so we're we're traveling through the sketchbook here it's dated november 3rd and then we have a nice little sort of i i love these this mm-hmm. evidence of engineer thought where there's yes. a grid uh where as we move across the grid horizontally and vertically in order to create four squares so we can uh, we have conditioned false and conditioned true on one axis and then test negative and test positive on the other. So we have true negative, false positive, false negative, and true positive. So iterating through the um, types of results you can get when those two um, two sort of question matrices are on offer. Uh, I'm guessing that we'll want to take we'll want to sort of grok some of these as a as a unit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let's take a look at a couple images here. Sounds good. And then why don't you talk a little bit about uh, mammography? Oh. Oh, interesting. Okay, all tests have costs. All tests have some inaccuracy. Tests can error in two mm-hmm. different ways, false positive and false negative. And then the next slide is a, uh, looks like a screenshot from the Harvard Health Publishing website, which is New Mammography Screening Guidelines. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Limited benefit from in their 40s. And then the next page is back to Deb's sketchbook, the mammogram visualizer. Well, this should jump right out at you, right? I mean, are you familiar with the topic that we're mining here, which is, for example, the advantages and disadvantages of going ahead and getting uh, radical mastectomies, for example? I'm not. So my understanding, and, and it sounds like Deb will be able to provide more details, so feel free to jump in if you have a second. I, I think it's not unlike um, prostate cancer in men, where... so at least the test. So with prostate cancer, it acts so slowly that one can make the argument that starting to test for prostate cancer earlier is problematic because you're more likely to get somebody um, to take evasive action when a tumor may well take, you know, decades and decades to get to a dangerous position. And if I recall, I think um, mammography is in a similar place where it's, you know, it's, it's it's a pretty uncomfortable test to get. And there's some question as to whether or not the particularly American obsession with I always want to know and I always want to know right now is necessarily the most useful thing for the patient. Huh. Okay. Deb, did I get that wrong? But that's pretty much exactly where this is going. So do you want to look at stuff and then you want me to talk about yeah. it first? Or do you want yeah, let's to... look at yeah, stuff yeah, first. Yeah, 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 let's yeah, look at yeah. it. So, so, Rob, take it from there. What are you seeing? So we're seeing uh, in the memory I'm visualizer, this is, that was useful context for me, we see... F- Five blocks that say mammogram. Oh, interesting. Okay, so we see five blocks. Mammogram lump biopsy. Mammogram no lump biopsy. Mammogram no lump biopsy. Mammogram lump biopsy. Mammogram no lump biopsy. And then we see some sort of coming down the the workflow from some of these. We see looks like to be like a clear results box and then a cancer result box. And the cancer result box is coming from the mammogram lump biopsy box which kind of makes sense uh to me the layperson 
Well, so now we're looking at a sort of mock-up of maybe what you might yep. see under the microscope. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there's some um, data there about the percentage of times that you're going to wind up with different sorts of false positives. And this says 50% of cards, and I'm assuming the card is the biopsy result, might result in a false positive. And it looks like we're getting into a, a card deck maybe or something for guidelines. It says standard dimensions of bridge card. Yeah. I really like in the lower hand corner, it says no pink, no boobs, nothing cute. This <laughs> 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 so is really fun. So there's some classic design Ooh. history with cards in terms of identification, right? With the idea being that you would pass cards out amongst GIs during mm-hmm. World War II. Or oh, yeah. Yeah, for like or plane, yeah. Yeah, so for the bottoms of planes would be a big one. And then uh, in more contemporary history, of course, you had the um, the deck of cards for um, different people in Iraq or oh, yeah. Afghanistan yep. that the U.S. government was um, was after to help with their identity. Trying to capture right. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So image number six, we see what looks like are some actual physical cards, and we see a mm-hmm. coin in the shot for scale, would be my Banana guess. For scale. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <clears throat> and they look like, again, um, Taylor, to your point, microscope images, and look like a kind of manifestation of the sketch that Deb made earlier. No boobs on evidence. <laughs> no boobs on evidence, yeah. No yep. boobs. Uh, but, yeah, so, so they're, like, stained, uh, whether yes. or not it's, you know, um, CG or conventional stains you, you tell you tell me why why one stains a microscope slide i think it's so you can see things that uh would maybe be clear or undifferentiated based on like cell walls or something like that right so you can or mm-hmm. like just um uh the uh physical makeup of the material will absorb the stain in a different way so you can yep. um also like write light uh reflection and absorption mm-hmm. uh so in so in these cards we're seeing like yeah lots of nice purples and blues and really kind of radiant color palette which is really cool and fun but maybe scary because it's cancer cells. Uh, and then we see in the next image Deb is shuffling these cards. Oh, this is great! Wow, De- Deb, did you um, did you find a way to print uh, like scratch off ticket material? I well, uh, so you can actually um, uh, it's actually a sticker, but yeah, wow, those, that's, those are scratch off. No yeah. So I'm I, I'm all the way down to 13, Rob. I mean, because oh. we have a couple of images Let's do it. that are yeah. practically animated in nature. Yeah, now it's definitely like a sequence. So great. Yeah, effectively, yep. Deb is shuffling, and then you can look at the image of the stain and then try to guess um, based on a little bit of text on the back. So one text might say mammogram, atypical biopsy. Yep. And then you you have to actually scratch off with a coin oh, in order yeah. to determine whether it was determined to be benign or um, oh, what's the other one I'm scrolling down to life. I mean, I, so, so it's incredibly rare. So it's not actually shown. So, uh, because it's the oh, incidence good. of the incidence of malignant cancer in the age group of 40 to 49 is actually extremely low. So in the yeah. number of cards mm-hmm. I made, I did not actually make one. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, that's not true. I made one that was, um, uh, that was a, a, a positive. Yeah. Result, but it didn't end up getting scratched. Cool. Yeah, so this it's a little dot. Uh, it's like the size of a quarter, approximately, that has scratch-off material on one side and like clear backing on the back, and that is super, super cool. I'm definitely going to reuse that one, so thank you, Deb, for showing that to us. <laughs> yeah, I want to... So where do you so purchase cool. a scratch-off sticker? I mean, I just got them at <clears throat> the evil online order place, but... Yes, um, yeah. 
noted. Is it like? Are, do you think they're used typically for like board game developer people, or is it just like a party guy? Um, do they, I, like, I think give they're actually used by like teachers among other people, yeah. right? It's like you okay. want to give people like, um, um, or for like, uh, yeah, for like choosing. And I, I saw teachers and I saw like bridal favors seem to be the. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the use cases. <laughs> so we have a card that says mammogram clear biopsy, and then you could scratch it off and see that the result is either benign or not benign. And as we happen to know, it is almost guaranteed to be benign. Benign. Right. And in fact, right. if right. you had if you had a clear result in a mammogram, you wouldn't do a biopsy. So it's, uh-huh. it's okay. actually so okay. you wouldn't actually scratch it off in this Got case. It. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because, yes, because the mammogram is sort of the goal of the mammogram is that you don't have to do a biopsy, right? Right. Gotcha. The basic idea is that there's a non-invasive test, which is turning over the card. And the card will okay. say you did a mammogram and you either have a clear or an atypical result. So if it's clear, you're done, right? If it shows up mm-hmm. as atypical, then you need to repeat. Generally, you would um, repeat the mammogram. So the first one's called like a screening mammogram. and The second one would be diagnostic. And so it's only if you draw a second card that says it's atypical, that you would need that you would then go and do a biopsy. Oh, okay, cool. And cool. Yep. so then the biopsy is the invasive test. I mean, mammograms yeah. have a cost, but the the biopsy is the thing that is actually invasive. And in this case, it's like okay, you've now scratched us off the card, right? It's like it's it's sort of invasive on the card, right? That card is, yeah. is now right, done. Right, yeah, um, that's cool. And so in the little sequence here, the first one it was like it's it's a biopsy. The mammogram is clear. The second one you do atypical. You do atypical again. You did a biopsy. Um, and then the third one you drew um, atypical and then clear. So that one, it's you're also okay and you're fine. Yeah. So where this came from was um, that there are these new mammogram guidelines for women between 40 and 49 that came out a few years ago. And the idea is, as Taylor kind of alluded to, that um, women were going in for mammograms every other year, every other year, but the incidence of breast cancer is very low in this age group. It's at the point where it starts to rise, but it isn't actually high because breast cancer, like lots of other cancers, the incidence increases with age. So what it meant was that many women were going for mammograms, it, and uh, even though the, the actual incidence was first of all, the incidence of cancer was low, but the test, um, rough something like fifty percent of mammograms. In that sort of first, those first forty to forty-nine um, age group would come back with something that was not total, something that required further investigation. And mm-hmm. I kind of shorthanded that as atypical here. Um, I did yeah. talk to a friend of mine who's a radiologist, Dr. Alan Nazarian, who lives in Chicago, and he gave me lots of details about the actual language that's used. It's extremely like carefully regulated. The type of language people use is. Um, uh, like very carefully chosen and it's more or less completely opaque to outsiders. So, huh. um, so huh. I did not use that language. And so the, yeah. the oversimplifications are mine um, and the errors are mine, but it was super useful to actually talk that through. So if you yeah. get anything atypical on a first mammogram, you would go in for a second mammogram. Uh, that would be a diagnostic mammogram. And it's only generally, it's only if there's something atypical on that, that you would then go to a biopsy. But roughly half of these first mammograms go to later um, to either a second mammogram or a second mammogram and something else. So in this deck of cards, half of them are um, clear and half of them are atypical. But if you go to a biopsy, the odds of there actually being a cancer are still extremely low in this group. And this is all assuming that you don't have a family history of risk. So Taylor, you mentioned radical mastectomies. That usually makes sense for people who have um, genes that are strongly associated with breast cancer. 
So yeah. the so the guidelines that came out were that um, until the age of fifty, women should should not go in for mammograms at all. And after the age of fifty, they should go in every one to two years, assuming you have no, as I said, no other sort of family history of breast cancer. And these were extremely controversial. And um, and in fact, yeah. um, I, I believe that the American Cancer Institute still actually says women should go in every year, every other year in their forties. The reason why they were controversial is because we all kind of understand the cost of not catching breast cancer early. And many of us know someone who had breast cancer that was detected early. And we know that it was because they're detected, they got appropriate treatment, you know, and it potentially saved their lives. The mm -hmm. hard part is that it's really difficult to assess the cost of false positives, right? Because it's, right. it's much more distributed for any given person and for any given um, person, the cost is low. And, and when I say cost, it's not even just the monetary cost, right? It's partly time, but more than anything else, it's really kind of the emotional impact of, well, I just had a mammogram that came back maybe positive. Maybe I have breast cancer. You know, what do I, you know, what do I, what do I do now? Yeah, it really hits home for me the classic problem of if you look at the numbers, you think, well, yeah, of course we should do tests in a certain way. But then if you think about if it happens uh -huh. to you, well, right. Right. then you want all of medicine's <laughs> all of medicine's potential coming to yeah. bear on you potentially I want all the horsepower yeah right oh yeah when doug gave us this challenge last time i i felt a very heavy responsibility which i think is a good thing to make something uh -huh. meaningful and then as the days grew shorter i also <laughs> felt a responsibility not to just kind of like you know rip something out that felt like it didn't respect the origin enough Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. so weirdly, I wound up moving away from a serious literal interpretation. I feel like Deb managed to drop it right in the pocket where it sort yep. of it, it talks about something serious, but then there's the um the making aspect involved just it was it's like an economical solution to the problem where she ordered these stickers and then sort of found a way to hook it into something important. Yeah. Okay, I will see Rob's I would describe this as a mind map, but one that has a very sort of hierarchical um, nature. And it's actually um, a much more graphic and interesting version of what I did, I think, where um, there's falsely accused in, a, in the center, and then there's um, threads coming off of it that includes objects to create accusation, and there's a list, bicycles, vaccines, wadding organic material, the blue whale game, which I feel like I need to ask more about, Dungeons and Dragons. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, I remember the Dungeons and Dragons. Um... And then um, on the right-hand side, there's people who get accused, and there's an entire category with subcategories for women, um, including witches and scientists and cyclists. Um, I feel like I know people who fall into all three categories, uh -huh. <laughs> um, as well as uh, non-white people, poor people, outsiders, um, and then folk devils, such as, for example, mods and rockers. Do you want to take it um, from here, Taylor, and talk about the other threads coming off this? Well, I'll just point out that the Blue Whale Challenge supposedly consists of a series of tasks assigned by administrators over a 50-day period, beginning innocuous and ending with self-harm, and finally a uh, uh, suggestion to commit suicide. Oh! Although it's, it's probably one of these classic things that it never actually happened, but became a sort of old people's boogeyman about the dangers of Facebook or whatever it happens Okay, pretty much. Um, that's, that's all y'all really need to know but it is worth reading the wikipedia entry or whatever for so. yeah okay. well, well and i think also to look at this mind map um 
I'm sure what Rob's going to do is interesting, but I'm I'm sort of particularly interested in the things he seems to have left behind. <laughs> uh-huh, like I, uh-huh. well, and I'm hoping that that the fork which precedes migrants, the folk, the folk devil, F O L K devil, um, uh, persists because that that is a really wonderful way of thinking about it. Uh, that that sort of like homespun notion of the bad guys uh, spinning out into a monstrous thing um, as opposed to just, you know, people with really recognizable challenges of economics or joblessness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say let's dive in and see what the next thing is. Okay. Sounds good. Um, although certainly the falsely accused going to potions or Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, <laughs> we'll have to return to those another time. Uh, so I've got Rob's uh, zip file, also excitingly petite, at two megabytes. <laughs> okay. Um, and I've oh, and he's he's crafted a PDF titled "The Master's Tools with Busted Knuckles," which starts out pretty explicit. I mean, the title I don't really know what it means, but then the first page is disassembly of a grandmother's bicycle, right? Uh, and the the font is presented on top of a. Uh, a full bleed image, and we have a super rusty and busted bicycle frame, a detail shot that has no wheel, at least at that location where a wheel should be. The Audrey Lord quote that the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. I presume <laughs> the, the title is an allusion to... Well done. It always helps to have someone that's well-read on the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's also something curious going on where... Every other image, at least initially, is appearing uh, upside down. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that they're screenshots that have been truncated of um, Adobe Premiere, although it could be, uh, you know, just about any um, nonlinear video editor. So both text and image are upside down in every other picture. Right after disassembly of a grandmother's bicycle, there's the word frame export. So he's sort of doing a sort of like meta gonzo documentation where he's also documenting the documentation. Um, so tell you were just talking about us being literate. It's like, I am so glad you described that because I would have no idea. Like, I'm like, okay, I can see some sliders, but I wouldn't have been able to identify <laughs> what it is. Um, but I can certainly do the next one, which says um, in hot pink um, and orange letters, it says the wreckage of my presence over this um, very old bicycle. I note the fiducial marker in the corner of a ruler. So beneath that image, now we're in Adobe InDesign. Of course, the the title is right there at the bottom of the image. But we also see the familiar page layout window, and uh, we we have the text half letter booklet. So we're we're kind of switching back and forth between the literary illusion um, uh, juxtaposed with the makery shot. So the next image is right side up again. And it's a black and white image of um, what looks like a woman in period clothes, so maybe early 20th century, um, on a, what looks like a bicycle. That's a period bicycle, but um, it's a little, I'm not quite as, uh, I'm not great at recognizing period clothes, and I'm really not great at recognizing period bicycles, um, <laughs> with the, the text ready to ride in mm-hmm. yellow and red superimposed on top. Uh, the next image, it looks like we're back to Premiere. The text is uh, uh, button editor. Uh, so 
So yeah, maybe this is being uh, prepped for a, a a website or a rich PDF or something. Perhaps the very PDF we're reading now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I have to say, I'm looking at the uh, the aspect ratio of these pages and being like, that looks like it could be half a page. Um, yes. Half an eight and a half by eleven page, and with particularly with the pages that are upside down, I'm wondering if that we are looking in fact at a zine um, in progress. Mm -hmm. So. So why in a zine format would some of these be upside down? I mean, I get the whole thing with spreads, but I don't understand why they would alternate upside down and right side up. Looks like, uh, again, it's like sort of part of the um, the bike um, near the crank. And I can so sort of see that looks like a drill during disassembly or, well, I'm assuming disassembly in this context, but mm -hmm. I a, can't. It's a kickstand. Oh, it's a kickstand. I was like, what is that weird bone-shaped thing? So the next image is another image of uh, bits of disassembled bike, and the the overlay text is your turning radius. And then in the next image, now we're leaving InDesign behind, and the text is divide skirt, undivided, divided. Um, so we're coming back in maybe with a uh, gendered reference and the way that bicycles um, and their cross members allow for or don't allow for um a skirt to to lay in a what's the word i'm looking for like a uh a covery way mm -hmm. <laughs> what's mm -hmm. the deb can you help me with the uh, oh you mean if you um uh yeah like it covers your legs or or yes. it doesn't yeah i mean it's funny because i always think of it as less like it's just the more the practical piece of there's kind of like where does that fabric go mm, if you're wearing exactly. a if you're wearing a skirt and i should point out that this um image is a it looks like another black and white period image Mm -hmm. um, that superimposed over because you can see um, what looks like a woman's shoes, a woman yep. in it with a skirt and um, and shoes. A yep. pair of women maybe on a, uh, on a bicycle tandem. built for two. On a, yeah. a tandem, that's right. Yeah. And that's our last image. Yeah, so Deb, wait, how, how does this dovetail for you with the challenge? I mean, I know, I know that there is some history, some feminist history around women having bicycles or not being allowed to have mm. bicycles, right? Because it's along along with pockets and money and lots of other things. It gave women um, sort of an unallowed for freedom. Agency, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would throw in there that potentially the um, the spread that makes up a, a, a zine or a publication, you know, splitting things on either side of the spine gives an opportunity to present a sort of duality. And so there's a, you know, there's a reference to the, tools uh maybe one of the dualities is the bicycle is a tool and the computer is a tool so the tangible and the virtual thank you uh, there's what's that <laughs> thank you yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's a uh a gendered duality uh where he's kind of communicating with um a grandmotherly figure and so forth i feel like it's um it's not tied up in a bow for us and I also don't really understand how immigration um, lives in there, apart from in that first image. But but I do feel like it's achieved escape velocity to the extent that it presents us with what feels like a consistent vocabulary. So I feel like it's on me to figure it out, as opposed to it being on Rob to be more explicit. So actually, I have a, I have a this is like sort of a woefully engineering question, which is that Rob, is this actually a booklet, or are we? Or is there something? Or is something else happening? Yeah. It is a booklet. Okay. Yep. Yep. 
What struck me initially as like an interesting area to explore was how often um, an object or a concept, particularly an object, is used as a kind of pry bar against feminism or against um, people's will. It's a really nefarious thing, right, that you can sort of use an object to disable someone's agency. And so I got really into that concept and I was like oh soon after the invention of the bicycle women weren't supposed to ride it because like it would give them the quote-unquote bicycle face which would make them ugly (laughs) because they would ride over like these rough bumps and stuff and it would like jar your face into ugliness which is that's where it's a riding bicycle face or rbf yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and um and then there was all the stuff like, you know, well, like it's unbecoming of a woman to ride a bicycle because she wears a Victorian era skirt, you know, with like 20 pounds of cloth and stuff. There is a really great Google talk, actually, by a woman named uh, Kat Hungnickel, J-U-N-G-N-I-K-E-L. And she wrote a book called Bikes and Bloomers, Victorian Women and Inventors. And it's um, a really cool talk that sort of goes into women's responses against that, like women cyclist responses against that, and like actually patenting and inventing women's riding clothing, like the splittable skirt and stuff. But then I was like troubled a little bit by that because I was like, oh, you know, there is this Audre Lord quote, for the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us to temporarily beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change and this fact is only threatening to those women who still define the master's house as their only source of support and so i have this bicycle that is jen's grandmother's bicycle and it's so wrecked to the point that it's not rideable it's like very rusted to the point of being structurally unsound and i was like i want to take this bike apart because i want to do some other stuff with it and then that made me sort of think about like dismantling the master's house or sort of thinking about how um if if there are no handlebars what could be imagined in its place you know or if there is no seat what could be imagined in its place or like what does that free you from in a way uh socially right to be like well if there is no seat i don't have to think about sitting i can think about whatever To, to use sort of disassembly of a thing as a project as a kind of thought experiment, as opposed to a making a thing as a thought experiment. And, um, and I just wanted to document that in a way that was as weird and abstract as my paths to get to those concepts. And so, so I made a little zine and then to, to the point about the, um, the upside down pages. So Taylor last episode asked a question, um, that I thought was really intriguing, which is, and I'm paraphrasing Taylor, I didn't go back and listen to the episode, but I I had made a note of it when he said it, which is something around like, can you just embrace an interruption and fold it into the work you're creating? Like, can you take, and it was, it was to Doug's like being interrupted by his very, his infant daughter, right? Like, like, can you just in the flow of writing, if, if all of a sudden your daughter is crying, can you somehow just roll that into your work? And so I was like, oh, the thing that's interrupting me this week making this project is actually editing stuff down and like exporting frames out of Adobe Premiere to use in this booklet. And so I was like, I'm going to incorporate those interruptions and the making of the thing uh, as part of the work. And so that's why I did that. So the up down upside down pages are so when you flip the book over, you can follow the flow of the making of the thing 
And yes. so then when you flip the book right. back over, you'll right. get to so see the So it's not facing thing, so. pages. It's actually reading the book in both directions. Now That's right. I understand. Right. Mm. Right. Makes right. sense. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's it's a little misleading in a pair in a PDF, I will admit. Right. And I was worried that that was going to happen, but I was like, I don't want to like lay it out. I don't know. It got yeah. weird to like lay it out. So. Nice. So yeah, thanks for play- thanks for playing along. It was a weird one, and I was really like just working through a lot of ideas instead of making a thing. And so I tried to like make a thing as a way to capture the experimentation and and it every everything y'all sort of jumped on for the most part was exactly where I was headed. So that was nice, um, but it's not particularly well framed. So I'm gonna think through some ways to solve that. Oh man, I had many many a day this week where I thought. That's the last time this thing is going to fail. I'm just going to document the failure. <laughs> and I just started working at the last second. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did yeah. have, uh, just as a total side note, and we'll keep going, but I did, um, Deb, I did totally spend about two nights being like, a card game, a card game, a card, cards. Like, oh, that's <laughs> So funny. I was super psyched <laughs> yeah. that you you went down that path because right. like someone actually pulled through on that idea because right. it certainly wasn't me. Wait, yeah. but like the thing that I find funny or weird is like, I don't, Card doesn't seem like a super obvious thing to come out right. of this. Yeah. This happens yeah. all the time okay. on the yep. podcast with me and Rob. Yep. I, I feel like we consider the same project every single week. and then Almost every week, it. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. I mean, in my case, partly because it was driven by the, the... I knew I had... I knew that the scratch-off thing was a was an actual thing. So mm-hmm. the form factor right. of the card was really just kind of a way to like put the scratch-off test in play. So that's that's why it's particularly interesting because we must have come from it from completely different directions because the direction I came in from it from was not one that was on either of your radar. Right, right, yeah. You can find photos of our finished projects over at projects.opposablepodcast.com. We have links in our show notes and we'll also post cool stuff to our Instagram account, opposable underscore podcast. Uh, if you share a podcast episode on social media or rate us on iTunes uh, or send smoke signals or something cool like that, uh, we will send you an opposable thumb sticker. Just hit us up at opposablepodcast at gmail.com or on our Instagram again, which is opposable underscore podcast. Shout out to the Mighty Wolf Mask who designed our logo. You can check out his art at wolfmaskart.co.uk. Our Patreon supporters are super rad. Uh, and we'd like to give Blondie Hacks, Nick Kantar, Walter Kutundu, David Billhorn, and Adam Mayer a shout out as our top Patreon supporters. Thank you, Blondie Hacks, Nick, Walter, David, and Adam. Uh, if you'd like to join them in the League of Patreon Supporter Badasses, just go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs. Our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge sub- of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. Okay, this is where we ask our guest and ourselves if they had anything they wanted to share that was like meta uh, information, things that they were influenced by, things that they're amazed by, etc. So um, I'm going to shout out my colleague who's a designer, Tim Ferguson Sauter, um, because uh, I went to him and I said, can you help me figure out how I should take photographs of this? And if you notice that the photographs in my project uh, both my hands are on the shot, and it's from an, an odd angle. Um, that's uh. it's because my colleague actually like took took the photos with the camera. Oh, awesome! Kind of in between my hands to to get that that particular angle because he's excellent. I did notice the, the amazing quality of your photos and the angles, so that's awesome. Um, cool. So, um, uh, just a few of my sort of uh, favorite things. Um, the San Francisco Fire Department ladders are amazing. 
They're made of Ooh. wood, which is maybe not what you think about when you think about fire department All ladders. Right. They're made of wood for a pretty interesting reason, um, oh. and they're super carefully manufactured. So um, I like I like this. Um, so I'm a material scientist by training, although as you've you've heard and concluded, I do work in a lot of different areas. So um, so it's a really deep appreciation of the materials um, that these ladders are made out of. Um, and the other another sort of set of interests of mine. Um, this at uh, my current favorite, um, one of my current favorite podcasts is Outside In, um, and they did an incredible episode on Hydro Quebec, which is the power utility in um, the Canadian province of Quebec, and called Powerline, um, and it touches on Quebecois self determination and um, large, incredibly large turbines and power projects and uh, First Nations rights. Um, and I sort of joked to the people who made it. It also has Americans discovering how big Canada really is. And I joked to the people who made it that the only thing that was missing that would make it even more relevant to my interest is Putin. <laughs> so um, so I've been pointing people at this. Um, and then the last thing I'll point people at is um, the Library of Congress. You can search their holdings for um, Works Progress Administration, WPA, posters so you can go and look at the collection of just beautiful awesome um, um art produced by the wpa that's cool that's a great list wow thank you so much that's awesome i'm really psyched to check out all those especially the ladders that sounds great uh taylor do you have anything you want to share yeah i was just gonna say r.i.p stan lee he died yeah. today. yeah oh my god really yeah he sure did i think the dude was like 95 wow uh, but it just got me thinking about like imagine coming up with something that became, I mean, even just to be a generational touchstone culturally. Yeah. But he's probably had at least three generations of people really into his products. So, yeah, it was really cool yeah. just that to think, really about, cool. think about that dude's life. I'm looking forward to reading about him tonight. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. I have just one thing I want to share, and it's related to my project. Um, there, is a, there was a, a magazine from 1896 to 1897 called the lady cyclist and the pdfs of these the university of warwick's website uh warwick.ac.uk all um i'll link to it in show notes but um it's a really really fascinating um magazine and it's quite nice i have to say just that like it's like a, a magazine for women cyclists and so it's not like i feel like so many images we get from that era are like so the photos are like very crafted in a like they're very posed and mm, stuff right and these are just like kind of fun and weird that's all i got nice deb do you have any announcements or anything you want to let people know about depending on exactly when this goes live the one of the things that's on my radar is that um, olin college where i work we have a creative residency called sketch model and um it's a year-long residency to come and work with our engineering students but it's specifically for people working in the arts and humanities so the catch is um, that the deadline is coming up on December 1st, so it's it's pretty late for people to apply, but I think I might encourage people to go and check it out um, in terms of interesting stuff that can be happening with arts and humanities and engineering, which seems relevant to this podcast. Yes, Whoa. it's a super, super great opportunity. I want to um, do that. Jeez. I know, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. And I should note that the deadline for this year is close, but we'll actually, we should have at least one more year of the program um, because of our funding, um, grant funding through the Mellon Foundation. So um, it means that if you think it's interesting to put a calendar, put a note in your calendar for next year. Awesome. 
Okay, hey, we, Deb, are you ready to lay it on us? I am. The new one. All right. So uh, my uh, challenge for you for the next two weeks um, creative challenge is Paradox. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool, cool. That's yeah. a good one. Wow. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> and, and my challenge for myself is to like somehow make it less abstract. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Just made. Rob, I have a challenge for you. Are you ready for it? Yes. My challenge for you is to start doing this tomorrow. But, like, start start doing it as opposed to thinking about it. Oh, interesting. So, kind of the opposite Mm -hmm. of the the advice that I was talking about, Taylor. That's right. Exactly. And so, if I, so if I, oh, see, so now I'm in a paradox. Do I take Deb's (laughs) trajectory through Mm -hmm. design Mm -hmm. or Taylor's? Or do I choose my own path? Anyway. That's right. Bob, Bob, Bob. Stay tuned. Debbie, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate you carving out the time to come on the podcast right before you have a big travel event and all sorts of other things going on. So it's very, very appreciated. I'm only there for a couple of days. And my one goal is to see the Northern Lights. Yes. Nice. Take, would you take a picture and send it to us? I will do my best. Nice. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. There's probably a name for this, like a science name where, well, maybe it's just irony, 